Hello and welcome to Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. I'm your host, Lauren Edelstein with North Star Meetings Group. Eventful, the podcast, is our way of inviting you to join some of the interesting conversations we have with people in our business about topics that really should be on your radar. I look forward to hearing what you think, and please be sure to subscribe. In the early days of the pandemic, Marriott International put in place a comprehensive set of protocols aimed at balancing safety while making sure guests had a positive experience. It's continually adjusted these to stay a step ahead of shifting circumstances. That's been especially true for the way the brand has approached food and beverage for groups. Nobody has been closer to these issues than Dana Pelicano, Marriott International's Vice President of U.S. and Canada Food and Beverage. On this episode of Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals, we speak with Pelicano about how Marriott has struck this sometimes difficult balance and how it's impacted attendees' expectations for food and beverage. She offers up specific trends she's seeing, many of which were shaped by safety protocols, and what's next for group dining. I oversee our global U.S. and Canada food and beverage business generally, of which meetings and events obviously is a huge part. In the U.S. alone, in a normal year, uh, it'll count for about 65% of our revenue. So really wow. big business. Yeah, it's, it's astonishing. And so you can imagine the impact then that 2020 and 2021 has had on us as a company, given mm-hmm. that such an outsized portion. We don't win until meetings and events is back and until mm-hmm. customers are back holding meetings in our hotels. It's, it's a huge part of what we do. And it's tied to obviously our sales strategy and to our room strategy and frankly to our brand strategies. We're really have, uh, happy to have one of the largest portfolios of what we call convention resort networks uh, in the country. These are huge hotels, upwards of 2,000 rooms, many of them. So, you know, we need folks to get back to the business of holding meetings quite quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And and how have you and, and the team been navigating the, the challenges of the last year and a half, nearly two years at this point? Before the in-person events started to return, I think a lot of us started to pivot to the hybrid meeting solution. I don't know if you've actually attended any. I, I attended a couple that were fairly successful. And frankly, I was really amazed at how the technology caught up as quickly as it did. It was like it was on the shelf for a back burner pandemic this whole time. I Mm -hmm. had no idea. But (laughs) I went to a really sophisticated one in the summer of last year where there were breakout rooms and, you know, there were networking boots and opportunities and you moved around again in a hybrid type situation. There were some folks that were in person and the rest of us that were virtual that were somehow interacting in smaller groups within a broader meeting. I was really impressed. I think that was our first really significant pivot was this notion of the hybrid virtual. Mm. Thankfully, the technology caught on quite quickly. I think that that's a thing that perhaps we forget when we're programming for a global company or when we're designing continent-based solutions is that literally 50 states and then all of the various cities within those states have had such shifting ground beneath their feet on an almost daily basis. Yeah. And that must be extremely challenging for in in your role. How do you keep all that balance. You know what? I will say we're a company that likes processes and we're a company that really feels good about things that we've made standard. So it was hard. If I'm being very honest, it was really hard to consistently be nimble. One thing that I think um, has been at our core 
you, you know, you can't figure out who you are in the middle of a global pandemic. Your company can't come up with a people strategy in the middle of a global pandemic. And so we're really fortunate. We've got 95 years under our belt of a strategy of putting people first. That's allowed uh, a little bit of grace, I would think, as we navigate through this. I think the second thing that we did, though, was that we really relied on experts. We called together a council really early on uh, within the first few weeks of figuring out what this virus was and what the impact was as it was hitting our hotels over in the Asia Pacific region in December of 2019. And our council drew on experts from various parts of uh, the cleaning industry, our health partners, specialists from the WHO. And we really looked to them to keep us grounded and then to think about what the science was telling us was the absolute best response for our guests. So I think being grounded in our culture and then in the science really helped us continue to find a true north and an anchor and still be nimble and have to make the quick pivots that were necessary. Yeah. How did that trickle down to the, the like specifically to food and beverage side of things? What sort of changes had to be made and, and which ones are maybe still in effect? You know, I would say it still evolves because we know today things that we didn't necessarily know. I would say at first it was really knee jerk. It became this notion of shut down all the food and beverage, close the restaurants and and really insulate. And I don't think that was just us, by the way. I saw a recent survey that said that the majority of guests, it was like something like 72% were saying, hey, I actually feel really good about endorsed brands and things that are hermetically sealed. And so people were saying, hey, you know what? I don't necessarily know that I uh, feel better in a restaurant than I do in something that might be a quick serve or a retail environment where I everything has been tamper evident proofed, right? Um, and so that became a part of that pivot. And and then I think the next question, specifically with meetings and events, was, well, what the heck happens to the buffet? And I mean, look, Alex, we've been kicking that question around for years, irrespective of, <laughs> you know, irrespective of this moment, we've all been saying, hey, what happens with the buffet? I mean, if ever an area of uh, the food and beverage and the meetings experience was rife for intervention, it was definitely the buffet. Um, you know, instantly people felt incredibly unsafe, rightfully so, about many parts of the buffet aspect. Who wants to be online, you know, unmasked because you're about to eat neck and neck with people, you know, sharing utensils to scoop food. None of that feels particularly good. And so some of the buffet changes really early on at the same time, how do I solve for a group of people, perhaps on a budget that I've got to get through a space quickly? Can I have an attendant? Do I start to do things with uh, dividers, plexiglass shields? Can I simply control the flow of buffet traffic? Do I schedule meal breaks and meal times for people. The blessing has been the rethinking of outdoor spaces. I think a lot of people felt safer outside. So you saw a lot of innovation, I think, specifically within the space of buffet, but also in retail marketplaces really early on. I think some of those are here to stay. Yeah. And on the, the here to stay, what are some, I guess, silver linings to this or, or things that you think are mm. going to be more long-term changes for, for the food and beverage side of things? Yeah. You know, it forced people to really think out of the box. I mean, and really to think outside the four walls. We had a meeting not too long ago at our very own Bethesda Hotel Conference Center right near our headquarters in Bethesda, Maryland. And, you know, they had long had what was, frankly, a little bit of an uninspired outdoor patio area that mm. happened to just be off their concierge lounge. 
And because of that, it was never really uh, used. There was no real furniture out there. You know, Bethesda is not a warm weather climate ma- the majority mm. of the year. And so rightfully so, it hadn't been invested in. But, um, you know, people were really eyeballing, hey, what space do I have outside? And the team just got wildly creative with doing meetings out on that space, you know, stringing up some lighting, getting some furniture out there. And frankly, it became really awesome. And it made you think, why didn't we do this before. <laughs> so, you know, I think really thinking outside the hotel, I mean, I don't want to make you uh, envious or start Googling as we're talking uh, the Wailea Beach Marriott in Hawaii, but, mm. <laughs> you know, they have private floating cabanas that they were doing dinner on. And then I saw this was really cool too. We have a, a Westin uh, at the Bayshore in Vancouver, and they did these really awesome looking igloos that they set up outside their restaurant space, again, for private dining and for smaller groups that outside in experience building these temporary slash, are they really temporary structures? Because a lot of them were really quite well done. So why wouldn't you keep them? To give people a little bit of an experience outside, custom built for them that made them feel like it was, you know, safer and uh, frankly special at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, how, maybe how was that interaction with the the meeting planners? How that partnership sort of play out. Yeah, I think, you know, you just, you just said it. I think the secret sauce is that it's a partnership. I mean, meetings and events has always been a relationship business and a partnership business. We, we are only successful um, because of our terrific partners, whether they're, you know, on the association side or our special corporate customers. And frankly, they challenge us to do differently and better in every meeting that we plan together. You know, I would say early on, there were a lot of conversations that were really happening above property. Our Key accounts, we're talking directly to our sales leaders and to our teams above property to say, you know, what are you going to do to put tools into the hands of operators? The first part really was getting the confidence up from corporation to corporation to say, hey, Marriott can do this. And, you know, hey, key account, we want to get our folks back on the road. Institutionally, we feel good about the way Marriott's approaching this. And then through really, I would say, just continued education, communication, direct to our hotels. We have a number of forums that we leverage. Uh, We did a whole roadshow called Connect with Confidence, where we actually held meetings and invited our key accounts to come and uh, join us at various locations throughout the country to see and experience what a meeting today could feel like. And that's where we literally showed them these elements of, you know, a reinvented buffet, what it might feel like to be at, at different seating types, at seats that were spaced six to eight feet apart from each other, at seats that perhaps for a couple traveling together that felt safe together could still choose and opt to sit a little bit more closely. Um, so we were excited not just to have the solutions, but I think to your point, to make them available first directly to the planners and then obviously uh, working with our hotels to make sure that our hotels were read in on all the wonderful tools and resources available. We wanted to build something that literally was off the shelf. Any of our operators could pick up, they could read it, they could plan, and then they could execute. Mm-hmm. Are there other trends you're seeing in, in how groups are approaching food and beverage or that you're hearing from your teams on the ground, not only related to safety, but also more fun stuff, favorite dishes or themes or requests that uh, Marriott is, is being asked about at, at its properties? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think all of us have uh, eaten or, or, or drunk beverage alcohol or not beverage alcohol a little bit differently, right? Mm-hmm. In, in a way, you know, food and beverage has perhaps been more democratized than ever. Everyone has always been a food and beverage specialist because everybody eats. 
Uh, so everyone has opinions. <laughs> that absolutely has uh, trickled into various trends that you see. And I think, you know, I, I, uh, I, I'm amazed by the growth of that ready to drink beverage alcohol segment. You know, previously it really was the seltzer category, you know, it was mm. the white qualification of, uh, you know, the summer of 2019. That, that ready to drink category now, almost all the major brands have them. This mm-hmm. is everything from like a canned gin and tonic to like a full canned Negroni in Manhattan experience, yeah. really advanced cocktails. It's a huge category. And it's not going away. And so when customers are so used to something in their off-premise, in their retail life, they, they come into our hotels looking for it and expecting it. And I think, again, that's going to touch on, that's the Venn diagram, the intersection of two really important trends there is this notion of something that's sealed that makes me feel safe mm. and something that's high-end and premium and was crafted for me. And I think RTD is a really well-positioned to continue to gain share. And we're going to keep hearing requests for them, not just in our retail outlets, but on banquet breaks. And in our event spaces, right? I think that's one. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think the continued premiumization of things, we were locked down, we were buying whatever we could get our hands on. It was off-brand toilet paper for a couple of months, (laughs) right? So so now I think perhaps people are really looking to say, hey, if I go out, I want an experience. I, I want the best. I want something different. I want you to really wow me. I want a product that maybe I don't get in my local store. So really show me something new and show me something that's high end and unexpected. I continue to see and hear things um, from my hotels that are saying, hey, have you heard of this? I just got an ask for this product, et cetera. As you're saying, kind of a Venn diagram of, of not only shaped by the, the pandemic, but also raising the experience for guests in, in some creative maybe ways that you wouldn't have expected two years ago, but really is adding value. Any other, you know, examples you can think of creative or, or interesting approaches to, to F&B that maybe meeting planners can keep in mind for their next event? Yeah, you know, I would say that the ability to customize really does depend on the communications mm-hmm. um, that we've got in advance. You know, I, I think mobile dining and mobile key are two really big advents. We've had them for a long time. But if you want to talk about taking a technology, you know, I'm going to say from zero to hero in no time flat, right? From a creative in F&B perspective, I was actually surprised by this. Perhaps we all drank too much in 2020 and now we're on the 2021 <laughs> detox. I don't know. But there is a huge rise in the non-alcoholic spirit space. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. I have a couple of friends that don't drink. And for them, you know, they would always ask the bartender or the server for a creative cocktail. And frankly... Alex, it was just juice or seltzer, right? Like oh, right. A combination of like a fruit juice and seltzer type thing. So I'm actually really blown away by what's happening in that space. I've seen now some actually really delicious non-alcoholic spirits, um, non-alcoholic gins, non-alcoholic cocktails that are deceptively good. Mm. Um, you know, for me personally, if I'm going to drink the calories, I probably want a little alcohol in there. <laughs> personal taste, but, but, uh, you know, I think that that's a really creative space that people are leaning into even more. And I love that it's opening up a whole new, um, it's, it's a whole new challenge, but also it's opening up a whole new revenue stream for perhaps people who thought they wouldn't take a tipple. You know, now you've got a really creative way of putting things on a bar, putting things in a break, uh, even earlier in the day because the alcohol is not there and mm-hmm. having something that 
you know, really makes people go, wow, I haven't seen this before, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And it, it ties back into wellness as well, which I imagine, as, as you mentioned, you know, maybe post pandemic, the quarantine 15, a lot of folks are still working off that. Yep. Is that something you're seeing shifting interest in healthy food and beverage and, and thinking about that? And alternative that, uh, you know, foods and beverages, right? So, so yes, absolutely. And, and two things, I mean, I was, it's funny, I was in the gym this morning and I was the only person in one of the rooms and I thought, well, literally everyone is doing this at home except for me. Right. So I, I live in New York, so I've got a small apartment. Mm-hmm. So everybody, everybody else must be benefiting from their mirrors and their Pelotons. But I know they're doing it because we know how much um, business has been in that space. I think there was this feeling of comfort food and the, the pandemic 15, so to speak. And now that we're getting back out there, people really are looking at alternatives It's interesting. The alt milk category is huge and it's Mm. really mainstream now. You know, I think for a long time, soy was really the only one in the game. And now, you know, you can, this is like a, you know, a a Portlandia skip, but you can milk that, right? You can literally, (laughs) you can make a milk out of anything. Right. it's huge. It really I just, is. So I just had pistachio milk for the first time. I no, didn't. I've not had yeah. pistachio milk. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, very rich. So, yeah, it was, it was something different. We're a huge fan of oat milk. We've switched mm-hmm. here. We were on the almond train for a while. Now we're on the oat uh, train. And, and we both, by the way, can drink dairy. So I don't know. We've got like regular, like a whole milk emporium in the fridge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's huge. I think also the meatless Monday and, you know, that had long been a trend. But I do think that there has been an even more concerted effort to open up people to non-meat meats, right? And you know that these are mainstream. Starbucks has an impossible breakfast sandwich, you know, made with the impossible mm-hmm. burger. You've got McDonald's and, and White Castle are in this space too. I think when you see it in the QSR, you know that it's gone really mainstream and we can't ignore it on any of our breaks or in any of our meal offerings for today's guests because they're seeing it in their day to day. Mm-hmm. Any other, you know, thoughts on on what's next for event F and B that you're keeping an eye on? It's always going to be a question of partnership and making sure that you know we go on these journeys with our planners and that we're really responsive to the things that matter. Every group has always had different needs, and that will continue to be so. And I think our ability to navigate through the space nimbly and gracefully together will continue to bring back not just meetings for Marriott, but frankly, meetings for the industry. And, and, and we all know how much we need that to be true. So I, I'm endlessly optimistic. And I think uh, we're going to be on the verge of seeing some really cool stuff full bore for 2022. Well, that's great. Well, thanks so much, Dana. It's uh, great stuff to think about for our listeners. And thanks for taking the time. My pleasure. It was so great to spend some time today, Alex. Really thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and review us and check back for new episodes soon. 